0: We'll use number 25 as we change the order of service. You will stand if you'd like. Right. thank you, Lord, and we praise you for this beautiful day you've given us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come together as we have. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to sing praises to your holy name. Lord, we ask that you would be with all of those that are on our hearts, that are near and dear to us, Lord, those that are sick and hurting, those that are threatened by this virus, Lord, those that have other issues, Lord, those of this household, Lord, that are away from us, Lord, we ask that you would put your arms around them protect them, restore them, Lord, and just restore them to us. Allow us all to be together again, Lord. Lord, we ask now as we look into your word, Lord, that you would just allow me to share some things that are right and good, Lord. That they would be useful to us as we walk into this old sinful world. And Lord, mostly that they would be honoring to you and I pray that you just continue to go with us, Lord, and be merciful to us. And forgive us where we fail, Lord. For it's in Christ's name we pray these things for his sake. Amen. Again, maybe some of the key doctrines that we, uh, as Old Baptists, believe in. Um, one of the easiest ways to kind of help us keep track of these major doctrines, and I, I know we're a lot of times doctrine, just doctrinal things, can be a little tedious, uh, but. Hopefully, uh, this will not be too tedious, but it will be a sort of a refresher and a reminder of those uh, key things that we we believe in. Um, I was reading through one of the things that uh, uh, Houston left me was a a set of books uh, that Harold Hunt published. And I can't remember how long ago, but it's been several years ago that he published these books. Uh, but they are, it's about nine, it's about a nine or ten volume set. It is an anthology of primitive Baptist doctrine. And basically what Brother Hunt did was he just assembled from A to Z topics. Along from from men that used to be, I was reading the preface of one of. them, He said these men used to be household names among our people. You know, even household names when uh, there was no radio, much radio, or TV, or even internet. You know, there was uh, these were household names, and uh, Brother Hunt said that, well, most people these days haven't even heard of these men anymore. Well, one of them, and one of the ones I I have several of his books in my library, Uh, thanks to Brother Houston, he's left me several books, and uh, I've been gifted with many others along the way, Uh, but one of them was a man named J.H. Oliphant. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was a Permanent Baptist elder uh, many years ago in the 1800s. He was a preacher and teacher and pretty prolific writer and one of the things he wrote about and I'm going to start with the doctrine of total depravity. That's one of the things that that's kind of the first of our uh, major points of doctrine, uh, total depravity, but uh, Brother Olivet said that we cannot correctly understand the remedy if we don't have a good understanding of the disease. And I, to me, that just seems, while it seems pretty simple, it's also profound. You know, even thinking about putting that in the context of today with this, uh, this uh, virus that we've had, with us for, I guess, close to a year now. Um, We've got, uh, Brother Adam and I were talking about these vaccines that were coming out. And uh, we know some folks, Brother Adam's wife's taken the vaccine. Uh, Suzanne's parents took it. Uh, I've known some others that have taken it. And uh, Brother Adam and I were talking and we're both kind of in agreement that we're probably not gonna get it, at least not yet. Uh, All the other vaccines we've ever taken in our whole life, they've been out for a long time. And, uh, you know, they've been tried and tested and, you know, we feel comfortable getting those. Uh, I was telling him that when I was in the military, I was on uh, uh, what they call worldwide mobility. So they gave me every known concoction. That there was at, the, at least at the time. Of course, I digress. But the issue is, I don't know that they they really know for sure all of the the ins and outs of this particular disease. Well, that's how I think a lot of Christians are when they approach the concept of of religion or or when they consider salvation or they consider God. They really don't have a good understanding of the problem of the disease. Um, and that's what Brother Oliphant had spoke about there in, in his writings, at least one of the little sentences I read that I thought was very interesting. The, the Apostle Paul states in the book of Romans, he says, and uh, and I'm probably going to use a lot of different scriptures today just because that's kind of the nature of uh of when we come to a point of doctrine a point of doctrine is typically not from a single place in Scripture because it is uh, it's a broad uh, sort of view of what we get out of all of Scripture and so that's, that's why we believe these things we believe that all of Scripture when you put all of this the Scripture together and keep it in context they teach the things that we believe in the Apostle Paul said in Romans uh, 6 in the last verse, that chapter 23, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. The, uh, he wrote also in the, the Ephesian letter, the second chapter of Ephesians, he says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, he says sort of the same thing over in the Colossian letter. Um, If I can get to it quick enough, he says in Colossians 2 and 13, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcisions of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. The idea there is that you were, in some sense, dead. Uh, I had a friend many years ago, early in my uh, Christian journey. He's he's passed from this world now. But he had a he we he and I would often talk, and one of the things he would I remember him saying more than once was it's not it's not the question is not about if we're depraved. The question is how depraved are we? Exactly how depraved are we? Well, in scriptural terms, from what we just read from the Apostle Paul, uh, in those verses there, dead. That's how depraved we were. All the way dead. Now, when you think of that, when you think of something as dead, at least uh, in the sense that Paul uses the imagery there, the issue of, and you hath he quickened who were dead. Now, Quicken means to be made alive. There's, there's only two uh, two options, I believe, that Scripture teaches. There's only two potential options that you can have, and it's either alive or dead. And we see that in our natural state, as in the corporal death. We saw that in the picture of uh, uh, in John chapter uh, 11 with Lazarus. When Jesus, Jesus was on his way to visit uh, his friend Lazarus, Um, John chapter 11, I'll just read a little bit of this. Um, I'll start at the beginning. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with the ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, talking about Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode, or he stayed where he was, two days. And after that, he said to his disciples, let's go again to Judea. Now, his disciples were talking about, well, you know, don't they, aren't they, don't they want to kill you? That's not really what I want to get to. In Verse 11, and he said, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Now his disciples, I think, were probably a lot like me. They're a little, little uh, thick every now and then. Kind of hard to get the get the idea of what's going on. Sometimes it takes several tries for me to get it. And uh, one of the disciples said, "Well, if he's asleep, he's doing well, right? That means he's getting better." They think, "Well, he's resting." Well, how be it? verse 13, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he had spoken of taking rest, taking of rest and sleep. Then Jesus said unto them, plainly, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus, you can't get much more clear than that. Lazarus is dead. The, the reason why I bring out this point about Lazarus being dead is the fact that much of the world today wants to issue a, uh, they, want, they want you to think that there is a third option. In Scripture, from what I see, Scripture clearly teaches only two states that mankind is in. Mankind is either dead or he's alive. Most, much of the world wants you to think that there is a third state that uh, teeters halfway between life and death, and that's where most people are. That's that's what I think much of the world teaches us their theology. The Scripture does not teach that. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. And then in the other two accounts that I've read so far, in the Ephesian letter, in the letter to the Church of Colossae, he said, and you hath he quickened who were dead. He was talking about spiritual, but he was contrasting natural life. The idea of quick and dead, meaning alive or dead. And here he goes on, he lets us know that it is, further reaching than just our physical death. Here's the contrast in this last verse of the sixth chapter of Romans. For the wages of sin is death. That's what you earn from being a sinner. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there is a life that is natural and there is a life that is spiritual. And we might call that life eternal life. Um uh, Romans chapter five is kind of the high, the, I don't know what you might call it, the, the high point in, in theology is re- as far as regarding our original condition or our original state, how did we get this way? How did we uh, get to be dead in sin? The Apostle Paul, as he begins to speak on this particular subject, uh, he speaks a little bit at the beginning of that chapter about this the concept of justification, and then he goes down, and I think the reasoning that he is using here is why justification was necessary. Why do we need to be justified? And, yeah, and he gets to the end of that sixth chapter, and he tells us the summary, the, his conclusion, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. How did we get there? Well, many people today say that, as I've mentioned already, that there is a place between uh, fully alive and fully dead and it is just, I don't know what they call it, maybe mostly dead or mostly alive or partially alive or just sick. Uh, the the uh, concept is uh, that they look at the disease of sin, as a sickness. Uh, it it's just makes people sick, and all they need is the right kind of medicine to recognize, uh, to cure their sickness. Uh, some people look at it as like a ball and chain, that you're just, it's just a bondage. Now, Scripture does uh, describe sin, or the state of sin, as, as a bondage, as something that holds us captive, even here in the text, It says that it ruled over us in this fifth chapter, that sin ruled over us. Uh, So we we were in bondage to it, but the idea of bondage seems to make people think that you could just slip free of that if you're just wily enough or smart enough or have the the right kind of connections. Um, Much of what the world teaches today in regard to this uh, issue of sin is they don't make it as serious as it is. They make they make light of it. And, then, and I go back to that statement that Brother Oliphant made that in order for us to rightly understand the remedy, if we ever expect to rightly understand this cure that we need, we first have to understand the disease. And in in the disease, we are a We are spiritually dead. And spiritually dead people don't respond to things. Paul tells us here in this fifth chapter of Romans, beginning at the 12th verse, how we made it, how we got into this shape in the first place. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned so many people believe that we are uh, we are held accountable we are, we are in a state of trespasses and sin in a state of death and sin specifically because of our own personal sinfulness we are sinners Um John says in, uh, in his little epistle, in the first John, he says, uh, uh, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We are, we are sinners. But the, the wages of sin, Paul says, is death. The result of sin. And, and, and if you go back all the way to the book of Genesis and you read about uh, the initial fall, and, and that's where Paul is pointing us when he says, for as by one man sin entered into the world, he is pointing us to that first man, Adam. We are not held accountable as sinners because of our personal individual sins. We are held accountable as sinners because of the fall of Adam and because we are all related to him. Brother Houston used to talk about Well, when I first came uh, into uh, the old, amongst the Old Baptists, one of the things we spoke about was the death of babies. I I don't know why that was, it just was a subject that he and I discussed at length. And he, he said, the fact that babies die proves, proves that they are sinners by nature. Before they even do anything, before they even do commit any actions that they could be possibly held accountable for, they are still sinners. Sinners by nature. Um, The psalmist David in Psalm 51 says this. He says, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Um, we are born into this world as sinners, and it is not so much the fact that we commit sin, but it's but rather the fact that we are capable of sinning. When Jesus said, when Jesus was talking about uh, sin, when he was talking about the difference between Uh, keeping the law and sin, he made it clear to people that it wasn't just the keeping of the law that prevented you from being a sinner. In other words, he said, the law says thou shalt not covet. That's what the law said. But Jesus said, if a man even looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he has broken that law, not actually doing, not actually committing to sin, but just thinking about it. The fact that he is able to look that direction and lean that way makes him a sinner. And he didn't get that by actually committing it. He got that just simply by his ability and the fact that he inherited that sin nature from Adam. Uh, Paul says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law was in the world, that is, uh, would be what we would call the, uh, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, and we know that was a long time after uh, the creation of the world, but so, so he says, For until the law for until the law, get, get my bearings again. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. When I hear about people So either all of this, this whole book, is right and factual, or we might as well get rid of it. If we can't can't trust all of it, why why would you think you could trust any of it? So many people today want to put away what they call minor doctrines, like the doctrine of creation, for example. Seven, seven literal days of creation. That's what's taught in the book of Genesis. We're all very familiar with it, but they say, well, that's just, that's not, you know, that's just uh, allegory or uh, that's just a simile. It's just there to teach us a lesson about, you know, what God does. It's not really, it's not what actually happened. Paul says, Paul ties our fall, the fall of the human race, directly to the the sins of Adam. Directly to the sins of Adam. Now, we understand the scripture tells us that Eve was deceived, okay? But Adam wasn't deceived. Adam sinned willfully. Uh, The the serpent, the the devil, the old serpent came in and he fooled Eve. He tricked her into thinking that that was... uh, that she wouldn't actually die if she ate of the fruit. But Adam was not tricked. Adam was not deceived. Adam willingly took the food and ate. And by that, sin, and along with it, death, came into the world. If we get rid of that first, the first seven days of creation and we say that we've had millions and billions of years of death and disease and destruction, then what, is, what, what brought death? That's a, that's a question that Christian evolutionists need to wrestle with. What was the reason behind death? Why did death come into the world? Well, if it wasn't because of sin, if it was just because that's just how God made everything, then we don't really need a Savior from our sin. But Paul says, yes, we do. Paul says, for until the law was in the world, for until the law, even before the law, sin was in the world, is what he said. The law says you die because you sin. That's what the law says, but that was only afterwards. God said, when you sin, you die. That was the original that. He said, but sin is not imputed where there is no law, in meaning that, okay, so just because you break law you must... You don't, you don't have to die. But God said, nevertheless, death reigned, death ruled, death was over us because of sin. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was become, Even over those who didn't commit actual sin, they had the nature of sin in them. They had sin coursing through their veins. They were a... Fallen people. They weren't alive spiritually. They weren't born that way. They were born spiritually dead. We call this um, we call this the doctrine of representation. You know, if you think about how our government works, that's how, at least here in the United States, that's what we have here. We have a representative form of government. We have we don't all go to the the cap to various Capitol buildings and vote on every issue. What we do is we vote on a we vote for a person to go and represent all of us. And even when they make decisions and vote for things that we wouldn't, they still represent us. That's just how representation works. Paul said that's exactly the same way that we found ourselves in the condition that we are by representation. Now. We may not think that's fair, I guess, maybe in the human concept of fairness, but I, I would say, you know, Adam, I would say none of us would ever make any decisions any better than he did. I'd just say that. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who was who is a figure of him that was to come. So he is the representative of all those who are fallen. So not as the offense also is the free gift. And I'm not going to read the rest of that. The idea is that we were fallen because of Adam's sin, not because of our own individual sins. That's why that's why you have little babies that die. Because they're all guilty they're all guilty the world comes out when the world changes the way that doctrine works they have to come up with additional doctrines to cover the ones that they've changed and so much of the world has come up with either the the idea that well uh, children are born faultless uh, there's this supposed age of accountability that uh, you know until they really realize that they're sinners they're not held accountable for their sin that's not what scripture says scripture says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God not most not all adults not all people capable but all all have sinned as a matter of fact when Paul was talking about that he said that that's something that we all have in common all believers have this in common that we've sinned and come short of the glory of God we we have this this condition, and it is it is a death, total depravity. We are totally depraved. What, what does that even mean? Well, it means that in in that condition, in that state, there is nothing we could do to redeem ourselves or to make ourselves right with God. We don't have that ability. We're not we're not able use some uh, verses from John's gospel. Um, we used some of this text last week from the third chapter of John's gospel where the Lord is talking about the new birth and being born again. <clears throat> and so that idea of the new birth is is the change is where you are made alive in Christ. That is that is where the change happens. At one point, and, and Paul describes that so plainly in that uh, first verse of the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That quickening, that making alive is what the scripture calls the new birth. That is the change from a total depraved sinner to a person who is alive in Christ. But prior to that, prior to that, Jesus makes these statements about us. Well, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is uh, John 3 and 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And while you are spiritually dead, you have no, you cannot see God's kingdom. You don't see it. You, You, uh, Paul described that over to us in the first chapter of the uh, Corinthian letter. He said that all appears as foolishness to those who can't see it. It all just appears as foolishness to them. The world wants you to the world teaches that all you have to do is see it. Jesus teaches that you don't have that ability. You can't see it. Um John chapter six. Jesus is speaking about his purpose, his mission here, reason why he came, the total, the the, only, the reason why he is he came into this world. You know, we need uh, a savior. If we didn't need a savior, he wouldn't have had to come into this world. Jesus explains why he came. He says. Uh, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. All of them, every single one. If they can't see it, how are they going to come? Jesus says, no man can come to me not no man won't come this is John 6 and 44 no man can come to me except the father which has sent me draw when we think of the picture of uh, Lazarus in the tomb we clearly see that no one was sent in to talk to Lazarus about being made alive. Why not? Because Lazarus was, would have been responseless. Lazarus would not have seen them. Lazarus would not come. He wouldn't be, there was no way he was going to come because he wouldn't see him. John chapter 8 tells us he wouldn't even hear him. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a group of uh, Pharisees. He speaks first to those that are believers, and he Explains to them uh, a few things about continuing in his word. Now, continuing is for those who are, the word of God is for those who are alive in Christ. It's not for those who are dead. Again, the teaching of the world is, they want you to think that if you could just uh, see these things, if you would just come to Jesus, if you could just listen and hear what we're saying, Jesus says this, John chapter 8 verse 43 beginning he says why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my words you see the people who are dead in sins dead in trespasses and sins it's not that they they won't see it or that they won't come or that they won't hear it's that they cannot see they cannot come they cannot hear they don't have the ability he says, uh, and of course we wouldn't be able to say these things, but this is Jesus speaking. He is able to see who they are. He says, You are of, the, of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you will not believe me. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. You, therefore, hear them not because you're not of God. Those that don't hear, don't come, don't see, they're not of God. But this is not This is not a uh, a a natural coming or a natural hearing or a natural seeing, okay? Can't be related to that because there are many who are in the world who, who don't have that natural ability. And, and he makes that clear to us because he's using these words when he speaks to these uh, when he's speaking to these Pharisees, when he says, why do you not understand my speech? Then in other words, they clearly can hear him speaking. Their problem is, it's spiritual speech, and it doesn't find a spiritual resting place. Jesus goes on and he's speaking about himself as the, as the shepherd. Um, not, not a hireling. Not a fake shepherd, but he is the real shepherd. He says in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel, he says, I told you that you believed not. The works that I do uh, in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. This is 10 and 26 beginning. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, and here's what he says about his sheep. How did his sheep respond? My sheep hear my voice. And know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. There is no, there is. It's a, it's an automatic response. Jesus gets back to that in that third chapter of John's Gospel when he talks about the Spirit, and I touched on that last week about. How the Spirit operates, how He brings us out of that state of death and sin into a state of life in Christ, but it is just that. It is uh, it's a it's a an action just like breathing. Uh, we we have it because we're alive. We don't breathe to get life. We breathe because we are alive. Um, again, He makes the distinguishes these two things when he begins to talk about our our condition Uh, romans chapter 3 paul begins to talk about how we are what kind of state we find ourselves in he says as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none that understandeth there is none that seeketh after god they are all gone out of their way they are altogether become unprofitable there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Much of the world wants you to think that this condition that we, that, that most people are in is one where they just need a little... Uh, nudge in the right direction, or they just need to hear the truth, or they just need to see the truth, or they just need to come and that's all. Just come. Scripture paints us a picture, Scripture shows us that the dead people don't have that ability. Um, in the, I mentioned the Corinthian letter already when Paul talks about this concept of preaching, what is the preaching for? In 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. To those who are not alive, it's just foolishness to them. Yes, they can hear the words. Yes, it, they, they understand the language. But it's still foolishness to them. It does, it's not useful to them. He says, But unto us which are saved, It is the power of God. As the the world teaches about this concept of depravity, they want you to think that we are not really totally depraved. Much of... So how do we get past this? How do they get past this idea of this issue of depravity? Most of the world uses a... uh, this thing they call convenient grace um john wesley who was the founder of the uh, the methodist uh he i think he's the one that kind of came up with that it's well he's the one that kind of modernized the view of convenient grace now they believe it's interesting how they look at this they believe that uh in the idea of total depravity. He says there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves uh, to uh, to save ourselves because we're totally depraved. And I, I think that's interesting out of all the those in the world that are kind of leaning in an Armenian direction that they actually believe in total depravity. And so they have to come up with this way to circumvent that. Scripture clearly teaches total depravity. At least they're honest enough to admit that. So how do you get around this idea of total depravity? Well, they say that the person gets uh, what they call provenient grace, or uh, it's actually the grace that goes before. And so what happens is God comes down and talks to them beforehand. But it's an optional. It's one of those negotiation kind of things. You see, they still believe you need uh, a messenger or, or some kind of message and they still say they need to have some kind of response because unless you can actually make a response to that, then uh, the, the provenient grace that God bestowed on you, uh, you've wasted. In other words, they still, they still uh, put the responsibility of your salvation in your, on you. On the the human. clearly the Lord has taught us. That there is no possible way. A person who is not already alive in Christ. Who is not already born again. There's no way they can see it. Just that verse I just read. The 18th verse. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. If you are perishing. Preaching is foolishness. But if you are already saved. It's the power of God. Paul uses uh, some text here about the natural eye and the natural ear here in this second chapter. He says, uh, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what knoweth man the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world. Why? Because we've already got the spirit of the world. We already are natural human beings. We already are able to see and hear natural things. We didn't need that. We didn't need to be natural people because we're already natural people. He says, but the Spirit, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given unto us. We, you think about, again, we use these, We, God uses this language in terms of a birth or a life and death. He does that so we, ought to be able to easily understand these things. Um, When you are about to have children, you don't get dirty diapers in order to have children. You have dirty diapers because you have children. Again, back to the idea of breathing. You don't breathe to get life. You breathe because you have life. It's not a before. It's not a cause. It's an effect. That's what it is. It's not a cause. It's an effect. Paul says, and he describes it, he listed plainly to us, but the natural man, and all through Scripture, we're given these uh, pictures of the old man versus the new man, or the old creature versus the new creature. What is, what is the old creature and what is the new creature? The old creature is that creature that is totally depraved. He is dead in trespasses and sins. He is not alive. He does not have the ability to see uh, spiritual things. He does not have the ability to hear spiritual things. He does not have the ability to come to God. That is the old creature, the natural man. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. And that word know there is the concept of learning. You can't teach spiritual things to a non-spiritual person. They can't be learned. They don't have the ability to learn these things. Why? Because the the facility, the faculties for learning just aren't there. They don't have those spiritual eyes, those spiritual ears, those spiritual legs where they can come. They don't have them. But Paul says, but he that is spiritual judges all things. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. Um, The book of Isaiah, which is where uh, that came from, that the thoughts that Paul was sharing there, he says, but the eye hasn't seen, the ear hasn't heard. Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, beginning, uh, the prophet says this. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by ear, neither hath I seen, O God, besides thee, what he hath prepared for the, for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee and thy ways, behold, thou art worthy. For we have sinned, and those is continuance, and we shall be saved. And the, we we are the prophet recognized that he is a sinful man. He is sinful. But he knew it. He knew he was a sinful man. But all of us are as an unclean thing and all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf in our iniquity like the wind uh, have taken us away. And there is none that calls upon thy name. Even in the Old Testament, the, they, knew, they knew the process. They knew that that men are born spiritually dead and, and outside of an intervening God, there is no, nothing possible, no way possible for them to come to God. for there is none, he says in verse seven, that made it clear that everything, that all the righteousness that we do, and you think about this, and it just seems, uh, in some ways it seems very plain, to to our natural mind, it seems very, uh, it seems like it might be unfair to our natural mind. For for example, uh, when uh, an unregenerate mother appears to love her child, is that love, or is it a selfish desire for continuation? Procreation. You see, love is is a spiritual attribute. Real love is from God. Whether they, whether it appears to our eyes to look like love or not, only God knows the difference. There is none that calls on thy name that stirs up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and our, and our potter and we are the work of thy hands. Even in the Old Testament, the Lord, the Lord, the Old Testament prophets knew that outside of the Lord intervening, we had no hope. Let me close with this. John's gospel talks about these. Uh, John's gospel John's gospel is very plain in the language that he uses for uh, the ideas that we are uh, dead versus alive, that we are, that this, this thing coming upon us is a birth, not something we gain on our own. In the in 1 John, in the Gospel of 1 John, he makes these things even more plain. He says, beloved, let us love one another. In other words, love is one of those things that, like I said, um, can easily be confused for a number of other emotions, but true love, real love is an attribute of God. It's one of those things we only get when we are born of the Spirit. Love, let us love one another, for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. If we can take one thing away from this, it's the idea of knowing that while in the, the, the plan of men for making uh, children of God requires some kind of uh, messenger, some kind of message, some kind of response. But when we're born, when we're born dead, we don't have that ability to respond. Praise be to God that that doesn't stop Him. He moves when and where He wants to. And his sheep always followed. I hope the Lord helps us remember that spot.